Welcome to this month's pre-sale pulse trending topic. Today, we're going to address one of the latest policy changes to drop that seems to have the industry in a buzz. Now, I'm Brittany Reimer, and joining me today is Susanna Gonzalez. Tell me, Suze, what's the government done now? I think we used this exact same speech last episode. I feel like we've just been, like, ramping up on it. Yeah, this month we're looking at a quite a significant change that is the proposals for short-term housing. That's right. Now, this is an issue that has seen debate and legislation passed in cities around the world, most recently in New York and primary cities like ours, popular metropolitan destinations with unaffordable housing. Now, the idea is simple. We have an undersupply of housing, and one way to alleviate that is to limit short-term housing so that it's used as long-term housing for local residents instead. Seems so simple. Yes, and we certainly do need more supply, so let's dive into what has actually been proposed. Now, the changes focus on three key areas. The first is to increase potential fines and strengthen local governments to discipline those rule breakers. Those rule breakers. The second is to limit the types of homes that can be used as short-term rentals. Specifically, short-term rentals must be offered only in the principal residence of the homes. And lastly, the creation of a provincial host and platform registry, which will be created to better manage and track uh, those short-term rentals. Now, the important change there is definitely number two, Suze. Um, it means that no more Airbnb rental investment properties will be allowable. Uh, no more renting your vacation home during those parts of the year that you actually don't use it or you don't visit. Now, we spoke to Taylor Mousseau, our EVP of Sales and Marketing and partner of MLA Okanagan, about these changes. She emphasized the crucial role short-term rentals play in supporting homeowners who rely on additional income to cover the high cost of home ownership. Now, when you have home prices where they are, it's critical to have a way to help assist with mortgage payments. Now, you can still rent out your home and get income, but it's not hard to see the attractiveness of short-term rentals for maximizing rental income without the hassle, commitment, and regulation that comes from being a full-time landlord with rental increase caps as well. Now, this change will catch some people out. Yes, absolutely. And perhaps more concerning, um, she also discussed how a dynamic short-term rental market offers flexible and affordable accommodation for travelers and visitors. Um, this makes areas like the Okanagan and even Vancouver much more accessible to a broader range of tourists that are looking for that affordable option. Now, clamping down on short-term rentals can still stifle local tourism contributions to the city's vibrancy. Yeah, it certainly will. Uh, all those Taylor Swift fans need to stay somewhere. But truly, whether it's concerts or World Cup events or an economic driver like summer tourism, there is a major lack of hotel accommodation in many of our main cities. Additionally, I don't love the sudden change in rules and the impact it has. Many purchasers bought with the expectation that they could have this revenue stream as an option and made a significant buying decision because of it. These changes came with little forewarning, and these policies almost never consider the impact on pre-sale buyers when people are locked into their contracts two to five years before completion. But let's look at some cities that have recently implemented similar policies and how they've fared. Now, a classic example is San Francisco. As a flourishing tech capital, San Francisco struggled heavily with housing affordability. And in 2014, San Fran led the way for short-term rental policy by instituting changes like the principal home restriction that we're seeing here in British Columbia. Yeah, 2014, ahead of the curve. And what has the outcome been? Wallace. Uh, well, tell me. Yeah, tell you. Um, it's been mixed. It's still a subject of debate. On one hand, there was a dramatic reduction of the listings on sites like Airbnb. Um, after coming into effect, listings dropped from approximately 9,500 in 2016 to 2,500 today. That's a 74% uh, reduction. 
Yeah, in that sense, the legislation did work um, and actually reduced supply. Uh, but let's put that number into context. Based on total housing stock and rental rates, there are approximately 240,000 rental units in San Francisco. Assuming all those 7,000 units that were no longer listed return to the long-term market, which not all will, that is a less than a 3% change. Realistically, I'd estimate that number is probably closer to 1% to 2%. So what you're saying, Suze, is unfortunately this isn't going to make much of a dent on the rental rates today. Um, it c comes with the costs that we discussed before, reduced flexibility for small homeowners and less robust tourism, but really like it's not going to make a dent in what we're trying to accomplish. It's a tricky one because I'm always up for tapping affordability and every little thing helps. So I, I do think there's some positive things here, but I also think there's just a few unintended consequences. The big winners here are actually the hotel. Yep. Time to buy some hotels, Suze. I think we're in the wrong business. Well, it looks like we wrapped another trending topic episode. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out our Newswire, our daily email roundup for all the breaking news in the world of real estate. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next time.